you love music from Detroit. Working on a night moon. See, your head is bobbing right now. It's impossible to resist. On this episode, we are going to talk about what makes Detroit a music mecca. Notice I said makes, not made, because this story is in the present tense, through the eyes of an industry insider. Discovering Detroit happened very young for me. You know, and it was one of these places where when you live in the north of England, it's completely unattainable. It's somewhere else. It's almost up there with Hollywood. Who is this man and what brought him to the Hollywood of the industrial upper Midwest? I'll introduce you because you have a friend in Detroit. Hello and welcome to You Have a Friend in Detroit. I'm your host and your friend, Jason Carr. Detroit is Motown, and if you come here, you can walk through Hitsville, USA, the house where all the music magic happened. We're going to do My Girl and The Temptation Walk. Remember, you're shoveling, okay? So, all Motown museum tours end with a sing-along in legendary Studio A. On a cloudy day, bump dump time to shovel. Come on. From this small studio came hundreds of hit songs, music that inspired millions of people, people like Kevin Nixon. I'm 60 now, so I grew up buying those Motown records as a kid in the north of England. I, I come from an area not too far from where the Beatles come from. And, I, you know, I'm a bit younger than them. Actually, quite a bit younger than them, thankfully, but I come from a very big jazz family. And my uncles, I've got four uncles who are all jazz musicians, and they're the same age as the Beatles. So we were all buying Motown records. And of course, the Beatles covered sure. a couple of Motown records on their first album. So discovering Detroit happened very young for me. You know, and it was one of these places where when you live in the north of England, it's completely unattainable. It's somewhere else. It's almost up there with Hollywood. And um, so to find ourselves here doing a music college, it's, it's a dream come true. Seriously, it really is for me, you know. You know, when we came here, we weren't planning to come here, but we got invited here. And, you know, when we got here, we were blown away by the upswing of the city. When you say we. Me and Sarah. So my partner, Sarah Clayman, she's my partner, I'm my partner. So she's the managing director of Dime and I'm the president. So she looks after the business day to day and I expand it. And that's how we've been. We've worked together for 20 years now. DIME is an acronym meaning Detroit Institute of Music Education. It's a school for serious musicians who want long-term careers in modern music. It's the American version of the Brighton Institute of Modern Music, founded by Kevin and Sarah in the UK. This is after a lifetime in the music industry where we'd done really well. And I'm very proud of that. Both of us, Sarah from the live side and me from the record side. So, you know, we got kind of complementary skills and we'd had amazing careers. And we, we realized that people, that the music industry doesn't train well. And, you know, we looked at a few things. I started consulting to a music college in England and I just thought it wasn't good enough, to be frank. And so we decided to build our own. And, you know, it, it exploded. You know, we started off as a bit of a hobby. We just took this little building in Brighton and 10 years later, we'd had 11,000 graduates through. And some of our alumni, James Bay, um, Tom O'Dell, the Kooks, 
you know, there was about five or six that sold a million on their debut album. And they're, the, they're kind of the headline acts. You know, what we're, what we're even more proud of, to be honest, is that we've populated the whole music industry. So I said to Sarah, I'm getting on a plane to Detroit. She was like, are you crazy? You know? And of course I got here and I saw all this stuff going on that no one knew about, all this brilliant investment and uprising. What year was this? Um, 2013, September 2013. So I phoned Sarah, I said, get on a plane and come here because it's pointless me trying to explain it. And actually to this day, if we want people to find out about Dime and about Detroit, we just tell them to come here because until you come to Detroit, it's very difficult to understand this city. What happened to Detroit's scene? This was a, a scene that was legendary with Motown and continued right through the thundering rock of the MC5 and Bob Seger and so on and so forth. Then we had Kid Rock and uh, Eminem, uh, the White Stripes all breaking sort of the same time. But that's been over uh, a decade ago. What's going on now? Yeah, it's about 15 years. Um, well, you know, Without getting too philosophical, I, I, I feel that, you know, certainly in my lifetime, the music industry reflects what's going on in the world and consequently in the regions. So if you look at somewhere like Liverpool, when the Beatles broke out, that was post-war, you know, Liverpool got bombed to death because it was a docks and, you know, all the big ships in England and America, they were coming in and out of that. So, you know, there was a lot of depression there and something came out of it that was actually an uplifting thing. And I feel like that will happen again with Detroit. I mean, it happened before. If you think back to the 68 riots, you know, Motown was probably at its peak right then. And so it's an amazing collision in many ways um, that gave people great optimism. Similarly, you know, a bit before that, when the Beatles came here, Kennedy had just been shot. So, you know, you can't get too philosophical about it. But, but the fact is that you know, Detroit has struggled until I think about 2010 when it started to turn around. Now, for for what went on in in the interim decade between the White Stripes, which I think was probably the last band to get a major deal, and 2010, is that like the rest of the world, Detroit got ignored by the music industry. Everybody had ignored Detroit. Didn't the music industry, thanks to file sharing and the internet and social media and so on and so forth, sort of go through a, a reckoning itself and had to um, condense and had just cataclysmic um, effects on audience research and development and breaking artists and finding new talent and that sort of thing? They were up against it. Well, the record industry did, not necessarily the music industry. You know, you got to separate the music industry in two halves. So the record side in my f ancient career, you know, it's, it's up one decade and down the next, and it's always been peaks and troughs. You know, if someone had not invented CD, it probably would have disappeared in 1986 because everybody then rebought the same records. So, you know, this kind of stuff, there's a lot of interesting analysis that you can do when you look over, you know, the trends, because it's a very young industry. The record industry only started in 1952 when the first chart was put together. If you look at the live industry, it's always been in an upward curve, almost from day one. And today, the most powerful companies in the music industry are Live Nation and AEG. I think their profits are higher than all three of the major labels, labels combined. So that's Warner's, Sony, and Universal. That's fascinating to me that you... I uh, have to delineate the difference. You can't just paint with a broad brush and say the music industry. You have to actually break it up and say 
recordings over here, live is over here. Yeah. So where does Detroit fit into that bifurcated sort of? Well, it, it's it's actually quite a simple equation because Detroit has always been on the on the touring circuit. It's never had a drop, even in its lowest times. Bands were coming in and playing um, Fox Theatre, but also playing big arenas as well. So the Palace and the Joe Louis, you know, there's never been a time when the big artists have, have not been coming through Detroit. So the appetite for music here has never been in question. But this whole record business, you know, of you get four or five years of success and then nothing happens for a while. It's not just Detroit. It happens everywhere. I'll give you an example. Drake, the second biggest selling artist in the world right now after Ed Sheeran, he comes from Toronto and broke out of Houston, Texas. Now, people maybe don't realize that, but he was on an independent label in Houston, Texas, and then it, it burst open worldwide. There's absolutely no reason why that could not have been Detroit. And I'm sure it will be Detroit. It's just a question of getting going again and getting artists to think in a different way and developing themselves which is one reason why we wanted to bring um, Dime here. What do you think it is about the culture, the diversity, the history of this area and this city that lends itself to producing talented artists that are worthy of breaking on the national scene, e either as a live act touring or a charting act or both? I think that this, is, this city is like no other in the world, actually, let alone America. And I feel that the roots of its talent is in the churches. So you know, I was talking about Motown. Those rec you know, I bought those records as a kid. Most of those artists that Barry Gordy signed came out of the local churches and around uh, New Center and all that. Amazingly, you know, if you look at the artists who were signed to Motown, most of them lived within a mile of Barry's headquarters. Um, those churches are still there. Almost all of them. Aretha Franklin's dad's church is still there. This, the, the talent hasn't stopped. It's still coming out. And if you look at what urban music is doing right now in, in, in the music industry globally, it probably dominates almost every territory of the world right now. So I feel that our musical credentials here, they've never gone away and they've always been great. The difference is that the commerciality has been a problem here. And so consequently... Um, because the city's been depressed for so long, it, it loses people lose ambition. You know, when we got here, we we immediately started going to gigs and talking to young musicians, and we we were like, God, I mean, we were walking into venue after venue and seeing them re really really good talent. So we talked to the kids afterwards and we say, I said, you know, have you ever thought of getting a record deal? Have you ever? got in touch with people in New York, LA and Nashville. And they were like, no, no, we don't do that here. We just do it because we love it. So that lost ambition comes from not having those iconic big acts, which we've talked about with, you know, Motown, but also Eminem, Jack White, Kid Rock. So the absence of having a big star break out of Detroit for so long has killed off a lot of ambition in young people. Do you think that that is millennial resignation that the model, the model that prior generations enjoyed is broken? 
that if you're going to make it big, you're going to have to go on YouTube or something like that. <laughs> you're just not going to make it if somebody spots you and recruits you and puts you on a label and breaks you wide. I think there's a lot of myth mythology around all that stuff. And I think that with all due respect to them, TV shows like X Factor, American Idol and The Voice, I think they've damaged the music industry really badly. How so? Because they don't do original music. They don't encourage genuine talent. They're asking people to fit into a TV format that actually fits them, not the artist. And so, I mean, we, we've got, we started a record label when we came here as well as Dime. Actually, not for Dime, it's for Detroit because we felt, well, there doesn't seem to be too many people helping, you know. So, And we've got one artist who, who was a, a finalist on American Idol but as soon as that show ended, nobody was interested in her in the music industry. And she's amazing. And that's just one example. You know, there's you and I could probably go for a drink tonight and go to some bars. And we Please would, let's. We, we would find, <laughs> I'm pretty sure we would find an artist who we would both be blown away with. So make, making that connection now, you know, people's perception of the music industry th through a show like American Idol, it's nothing like that. It's very short-termism what these people are doing. You can win these talent contests and be driving a cab three weeks later. That can't be good. That's not good. That's not sustaining careers. That's not helping kids and encouraging them and giving them a role model like Berry Gordy did or like Eminem did, who created amazing scenes. You know, when Eminem broke, there was about another five or six rappers come from Detroit that also did well, and I think probably someone like Big Sean has benefited from that. Uh, and equally, equally with Jack White, there was a, a number of great garage bands coming out of Detroit. And it's not had that scene for a while now. You mentioned earlier that you think that the music industry has ignored Detroit and is only concentrating in two or three cities. Why is that? I don't think the industry knows any better than it ever did. So I think, you know, because Detroit, because Detroit's been so depressed, it's not just the music industry that's ignored it. There's loads of industries that have ignored it. This city is known for two things, music and cars. Now, the car industry is fine. You know, they had a bit of a bump about six or seven years ago, but they're in good shape. Music industry is not. It's not in good shape. How do you fix that? You can't get a government bailout for the music industry. Well, you have to give, give people a reason to come here. What's happening now is that music people are coming here. It's starting to get the words getting around. I mean, I used to go to LA and New York when I first came here three years ago. And I'd see my old mates, you know, because most of my peers, they're all like presidents and CEOs of major labels now. And I would see them and they'd, they'd say, what are you thinking? What, what, what are you doing in Detroit? Now, it's like, well, something's going on in Detroit. The word is out that Detroit's on the rise. I was in Denver the other day and I bumped into somebody I hadn't seen for a long time. And they were like, well, we want to come to Detroit. We keep hearing great things about it. Five years ago... You could go anywhere in America, you'd never get that. When you go to a club, whether it's in a Detroit suburb or downtown or midtown or Hamtramck, uh, a city within a city almost, when you look at talent up on the stage and you hear them play and you see them entertain, is there a wow factor, an it factor that you are immediately, the light bulb's going off, you're like, this is the next big thing. I'm looking at it right here. <laughs> I, You know... Anybody in the music industry that claims they know the next big thing is wrong. They don't. Because even when you find it, the journey to try and make it happen is like climbing a mountain. So 
I never think like that. Um, and also, when I'm watching gigs in Hamtramck or anywhere else, um, I expect to find something good. I'm a very optimistic person, you know, and it doesn't matter whether I'm in Detroit or wherever I am. If I'm going to see a, a band or a, an artist that someone's recommended to me or there's a bit of a buzz going on, I go there expecting them to be good. And in actual fact, music industry is full of brilliant artists. It, it, the problem is it's got an 87% failure rate once you get a deal. And, you know, there's only so much room for so many artists to break through. I think there's some crazy statistic like 1% of all artists pay for the other 99%. So financially, this is one reason why, you know, investors and straight business people keep a mile away from the music industry because the risk factor is ginormous. You've got to be in that 10%. And it's ephemeral. It doesn't last. Only in the very, very small percentages do you have a band that goes on for decades, uh, like the Rolling Stones or U2. Most fold after a short number of years. That's true. Yeah. And I think that's um, symptomatic of fashion because people don't realize that, that actually when you get in the music industry, you're in the fashion industry. And there are ways to transcend fashion, same ways as there are to transcend music. If you look at Mick Jagger, for example, you mentioned the Stones. Even though they haven't had a big selling album pretty much ever, what they've done is they've evolved. And so the young, cool bands, they all want to open up for the Rolling Stones because these guys are the real deal. They've evolved their music and their performance. I saw Mick Jagger play at Comerica Park last year. Uh, is he 72 now? Something like that. I mean, it's incredible. The guy's performance. And I'm not just talking about him running up and down stage, but his delivery of the blues from a vocal point of view People forget that about him. He's really dedicated. When he sings a Muddy Waters song, he really means it. That's the kind of thing that you can learn from. But it doesn't come easy. It doesn't come in five minutes. Everything we do is about the long term. And the reason for that is because Sarah and I have been in the industry all our lives. And we really treasure it and we're proud of it. And so we're trying to pass on that long-term thinking to today's kids in, in, in an environment where actually there's too much short-term thinking, which has definitely damaged the record business. The disposability of music today, you would never believe that would happen. That's, that's the cancer of the music industry is disposability. And of course, it's very easy to, to blame the internet for that. Um, and I do. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's a problem that people think that music should be free. On YouTube, I found an artist. I'm not sure he's just not a, a bartender who's you got a guitar in his Brooklyn flat and he's just messing around. I don't know who he is. I don't know if he has any musical aspirations, but he sings a version of Bring Me Sunshine, uh, a song that I'm sure you're probably familiar with. Yeah, everyone in England knows that song. And Willie Nelson recorded it. I found him on the web doing a deep dive. You know, you go down the wormhole, you look at one version, then you're looking at another and another and another. And then all of a sudden, here's this guy. I, I'm assuming he's in Brooklyn. He looks like a hipster. He's got, a, he's got the headphones on. He's got the microphone. He's got the guitar. And he rips into a pretty credible version of that song. It's it, And I think he's got a tremendous voice. No idea if he wants to be in music or if that's what his aspirations are, but I wouldn't know he existed if not for accidentally finding him on YouTube. Hmm. What do you think about that sort of discovery that's there uh, and apply it to what you were saying about music being free and 
You're yep. talking about YouTube discovery. Well, you know, the best example of that is Justin Bieber. Uh, you know, I applaud and support any kind of discovery. I don't care whether it's YouTube or Hamtramck or wherever it is. However artists can get themselves noticed, is a, it's got to be a good thing. I think the problem is, is later. So YouTube, everybody uses YouTube. The problem with YouTube is it's free. That's the problem. I personally have loved YouTube since the day it came out. Well, so, it's free to you as a user, but with ads, the person creating the content can actually get paid, but you have to be seen millions and millions of times. Yeah, but they don't get paid. This is the, this is the thing. YouTube have never been paying songwriters from day one. That, how can that be right? Right now, the biggest problem with Spotify, which has saved the music industry, is they're not paying songwriters the, the due amount. So there's a big battle going on with publishers. But, you know, let's not get straight into politics here. Where the, where the internet has, has been a problem is that it made music free. Now, the, musical, the music industry allowed that to happen because when Napster broke through in the year 2000, what did we do? We sued them. That was just ridiculous. Once Motown left, and I believe it was 72, uh, in order to make it in music, I think a, a feeling or a belief took hold in Detroit that you would have to go to the coast or go to Nashville, you, somewhere, anywhere else. What about now? You say it's starting to happen. You've got labels coming in going, hey, what's going on in Detroit? So is it changing even as we speak? Yes. And this is the upside of the internet. I mentioned Drake breaking out of Houston, Texas when we were talking earlier. And, um, you know, you can break anywhere right now because the thing is that the decentralization of the music industry has happened because now everything's accessible. It never used to be like that. Um, you know, record labels, they still only exist really in L.A., Nashville and New York in America and in Europe, in London and Paris, you know, the capital cities. But they're just really administrative offices. They're, they're headquarters. Um what happened out of Houston with Drake can literally happen anywhere because the thing is that um, the necessity to go and live there to have your career has gone away. You know, the reason was why musicians would move to L.A. and New York would be to get noticed. Madonna. Madonna, yeah. I mean, she didn't break out of Michigan. She went to New York City. Yes. And, you know, in my own case, where I grew up, it's 250 miles north of London. I remember when my mum and dad took me to London, I was the only kid in my class that had ever been to London. You know, that's like making your own look. That was a good thing. My mum's from London, as it happens. But um, So the, the point is that to get noticed today, you mentioned YouTube before, you can get noticed in hundreds of different ways. And social media is the biggest promotion um, department in the world. Not just for music, for everything. I can think of 10 kids at Dime right now who are unquestionably good enough to make it to the top of the music industry. Whether they will or not, there are another 50 factors as to, that will decide that. But the number one factor of all is tenacity, determination. Because making it in the music industry, I always equate it to like 
playing for England at soccer. If you think of all those kids playing on village greens who are 14 years old, who all want to be Wayne Rooney, but there's only 11 kids get into the England team. It's very similar. Plus that little something called fate, luck. <laughs> somebody knows somebody, you're in the right place. Freak occurrence where you're in the right place at the right time and the right person sees you. I mean, you can't discount the sort of the lining up of the stars. Absolutely agree. Now, but of course you can make your own look. So for example, um, we got a phone call, I think it was around 1st of December, just gone, from a guy called Charlie Walk. Now Charlie's very well known in the music industry. Charlie's the president of Republic Records. Now Republic Records is the most successful label in America. And everybody in Detroit should be pleased about this because Charlie phoned me up and he said, I hear Detroit is buzzing. We're going to come and we're going to come next week. Can you put on a showcase for us? We want to spend the day at Dime. So he turned up, he brought Nick Cannon with him. He brought um, St. Haraway, who was a legendary head of A&R at Republic and three or four other of the team. There was a whole load of them came from Republic Records. They watched our kids doing showcases. We put about six or seven um, into our venue in the basement of Dime. It's called the Underground. And then um, Charlie got up and talked to the students. So did Nick. And we and it was it was fantastic. Republic have been on the phone to us every week since the first week of December. That's how blown away they were. We wouldn't want to pretend that it isn't important for us to get big names into our colleges. You know, when we were in England, for instance, it took us five years to get Jeff Beck to come to our college. And he, this was his manager at the time. He was like, no, he ain't got time. He's not interested, da, da, da. Anyway, I happened to run into Jeff in a studio that I was working in and got five minutes with him. And I said, listen, we've got this place. And now he lives quite near where we started our colleges. So he came down, didn't even tell his manager. Uh, so his tour manager brought him down. And they rang ahead and said, listen, we can come down like Tuesday afternoon, but we've only got about half an hour. And we were like, fantastic. Don't worry. Even if you only got 10 minutes, be great. I'll bet he stayed longer. Three and a half hours. I knew it. And he also said, I'm not going to play. And within half an hour, he had a guitar in his hand. I used to work with The Who a lot. Um, before Sarah was my partner, Bill Kirbyshe was my partner, who was The Who's manager. And so I worked with Pete Townsend and Roger quite a lot. And uh, so Roger's the patron of our colleges in England still today. And when the Who came through Detroit last year, we took the whole of the dime student population to the Joe Louis, the whole college. And the Who gave us free tickets. And Roger and Pete came down, spent time with them. Bill came and did a master class. You know, so these are like the headline exciting times. The rest of it's really hard work and grind. But... It's important to get those guys in. I mean, Madonna came in two years ago. She was in Detroit. She found out we were there. She came in. Same thing. She's only, you know, all her people, like she has an entourage, they all ring up and say, oh, she's only got five minutes. She stayed an hour and a half and started routining one of our bands who were rehearsing in the underground. Um, that This is the magic of the music industry. To brush shoulders with these people is a special thing. And so we're very, very privileged when that happens. It's nothing short of astounding how many musicians from around these parts only need to be known by one name. Diana, Stevie, Aretha, Marvin, Madonna, Seeger, The Nuge, Eminem, Kid Rock. Okay, Kid Rock is actually two, but 
Oh, well, who knows what the next name will be or who he or she will be. My thanks to Kevin Nixon and thank you for stopping by the Motor City or Motown. I'm Jason Carr.